Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we have conversations with transparency. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as reviews are everything. Today, I am excited to have on Brad Johnson, who is a professor of psychology in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the U.S. Naval Academy. He's also a faculty associate in the Graduate School of Education at Johns Hopkins University and the recent author of Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. Hi, Brad. Hey, Cheryl. Great to be here with you. Thanks for being here. I am sure that that bio could be a lot, lot longer. Um, I thank you for your service and for what you are writing about. I'm so excited to talk about your new book, Good Guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited too. It comes out tomorrow, so this is going to be a fun conversation. It It is, and it's very, very timely. So um, I have to say that I didn't know what to expect. And when I first saw it and looked at two male authors, I thought to myself, and we should talk about this, well, why isn't there a female co-author? And um, are, do they really have authority to be talking about, you know, how to be an ally to a woman? <laughs> yes. um, so those really were some of my assumptions and or even my thoughts or even thought I'd have my critical cap on for that. Uh, but I will say that I really do. You you make a great case for being an authority on how to speak to this. And I do feel that it's basically a conversation, I think, between it's like man to man in in a sense. And so I I was bought into this idea pretty quickly, even though I opened it with some skepticism. So it's fabulous book. So I'm going to start off by saying that you you have it in your introduction that um, the Me Too movement has actually not been a catalyst to move men into action in the workplace. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting and probably something I hadn't really thought about. So why do you think this is? Yes. So such a great question. I mean, there are so many answers to this, but, you know, the big ones are that even before Me Too, Cheryl, guys were already reluctant to engage oftentimes with women in the workplace. You know, um, men can get very anxious because they don't have a script for having one of these professional, close collegial relationships with a woman that's not sexual. Right. No one no one ever gave them that script. Some men are worried about how it will come across or whether they'll be gossip or um, whether they'll even know what to do. Guys hate not knowing what to do, right, as allies or mentors or, or even just colleagues uh, to women. So they stay on the sidelines. So there was already that going on. Me Too comes along. And then what we've been looking at is all of the false narratives, uh, mostly perpetuated by men about what Me Too is about. So women are dangerous is the big one, right? Women make false accusations all the time. And that's absolutely not true. My co-author, David Smith, and I have looked everywhere for the data and it just doesn't exist. So, you know, has that ever happened? Sure. But, I, but you know, guys have been struck by lightning, too. And it's probably about as you know likely uh, for that to happen. If you're a well-meaning, bumbling dude who gets it wrong sometimes, like my, my co-author Dave and I do, I think you have nothing to worry about. So men need to push back on that narrative, Cheryl, that women are dangerous and remind people, uh, 
when you hear that, no, actually, Me Too is really simple. Women are asking to come to work and not be assaulted or harassed. It's a super low bar for dudes to get over. <laughs> and, and if you have trouble with that, you probably shouldn't be in the workplace, uh, you know, in the first place. So we need to push back. And then, you know, if men are still anxious, you know, as a psychologist, I have to just say there's only one treatment for that, right? Exposure therapy. You need to have more coffee, more lunches, more conversations with women until you address your own anxiety. But I, I think too often some men have co-opted the Me Too thing as one more reason to disengage, to segregate women. And that that doesn't help us move forward on equity at all. Yeah, I'm. I, you're talking and I'm really imagining, you know, a male leader being hesitant to go out. You're saying they need more coffees, more lunches, because they are fearful of how will something be perceived or what I have found is that men seem to be sensitive. I guess sensitive would be the right word or somewhat aware of jokes, you know, and can they joke anymore? Like, you know, and I feel like I've heard people sort of lightly say things like that. So what do you say to that in terms of some of the humor and things that are used in workplaces or maybe at lunches and definitely at dinners, right? At any kind of work dinners where maybe there's some wine or alcohol involved and people feel a little bit more relaxed. What kind of advice do you have for, for men in those situations? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, again, some men may have this false narrative that women right right now post me to have no sense of humor or we can't engage with them or that. And that's absolutely not true either. But this is a wake up call, I think, for us guys, especially around the kind of humor and the kind of banter that we too easily engage in when when women are not in the room, right? And in some ways, you know, Me Too and the call to become better allies for men is a wake-up call to look carefully at these conversations. You know, what what are men saying? Uh, what joke just got told in the meeting, right, where there are men and women or all guys doesn't matter? Um, and have I listened to that and not said anything for years? And so Me Too can be a, a moment where I kind of check myself and, you know, ask, uh, have I been kind of tolerating or turning a blind eye to some stuff that probably shouldn't be going on in the first place? And it, it might be a moment where I, I realized, yeah, I, I'm not going to engage in that and I'm going to say something when I hear it. So I think that's that's what allies need to do. Yeah, I think you just made a really important point that what is the humor or conversation that occurs even when there are no women in the room? Because I think that men can feel like no harm, no foul. There were no women in the room. So I could say that and you know, just keep it in, in these walls and everything's fine. What do that you is, say to that? Oh, it is so important, Cheryl. I'm glad you asked that. So here's what, you know, what, here's what we find. Uh, the research on bystander effect, right? So you know, you're in that meeting, we've all been there, and some dude, some old curmudgeon guy tells us a harassing joke or makes a really sexist comment about women. Too often, no one says anything. And what we know from the research is that bystander paralysis will set in in just a few seconds, right? And, and what I mean by that is after a few seconds, no one's going to say anything. The moment has gone by. Everyone's immobilized. So we work with guys to say something. You've got to disrupt it. You know, even just say, ouch, dude, you know, and the beauty of just saying, ouch, is everyone in the room turns to me and it gives me a few more seconds to think about how I want to say what didn't land the right way with me. But the problem is too often men 
will say something like, hey, hey, Bob, Cheryl's in the room, dude, come on, don't. And that's absolutely the wrong response. I have to say, no, I didn't appreciate that, Bob, and here's why. Or we don't do that here. Or someone said that, you know, to my spouse at her job, and I, I really made me angry. I don't want to hear that here. I got to own it. And I think too often men don't own it when they do the disruption. Yeah, I'm so, I, I know we need to move on with other points, but gosh, that makes, that's such a good point that you say that if a man says, uh, you know, dude, Cheryl's in the room, don't say that. It really does not make any kind of sustainable change. It just simply says, oh, I'm acknowledging there's a woman in the room. So hush, hush, say that when she's not in the room. That's exactly it, right? It implies, even if you don't say that, it implies that this is, this is fine when it's just us guys, right? We can talk like this all we want. And that does nothing to change the culture. And it communicates to her that, um, you know, she's really a unicorn in that environment or she doesn't make the guys feel comfortable. And if she would just leave, we could get back to being guys who, who say these things about women. And, you know, that's just not the culture we want to live in. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you that as, um, you know, as a woman, I still hear things that men say that make me a little bit uncomfortable. And I will say that maybe I'm not the best bystander or upstander because there are still times where I think like, Oh God, I wish he hadn't said that. And I just say quiet. So even, even as a woman in these situations, I don't always represent myself well, or even other women. I had this recently happen uh, where, you know, someone said, you know, someone used the P word to describe the situation with these, uh, with another man. And I didn't say anything, but could you give me language? Like what could I say that keeps this a conversation going, doesn't shut the person down or shame them? Cause that's what my concern is, I guess. And yeah. You know, but but does the right thing? Yeah, that's that's such a good question. I mean, I, I always find, and we work on this with men too, Cheryl, because I think too guy too often guys, you know, they'll take it from, um, hey, I can just do a little friendly correction here to DEFCON five, right? I got to turn into mixed martial arts cage fighter when I'm confronting, <laughs> and that just that doesn't help. It, it makes everybody defensive. So I I love things like the Socratic question could you tell me more what, about what you meant by that? Or I'm really confused. You know, why would you use that word? Or did you think about it before you said or told that joke or, you know, whatever it is. Often just asking a question, you know, that doesn't come across as accusing, but it, it inevitably makes the person reevaluate what they just said, right? It communicates something wasn't right about that. And I'm inviting you to explore that. Um, that sort of thing often um, is a good disruption technique because you can say it right afterwards so the moment won't pass, but it also doesn't put the person immediately on the defensive. Yeah. Just, yeah. just hearing you say that is really, really helpful and just imagining, okay, yeah, I could say that. I could say, oh, so what you were actually trying to say is, you know, it just sort of reframe it and I don't have to make a big confrontation out of it, but it's an acknowledgement that, you know, there's another way you could say that. Yeah, and I also just want to point out, you know, you mentioned women bringing this up when, when they're the subject of sexism or bias or harassment. 
there, there's actually a lot of research, though, that shows when women do that, when women call it out, uh, especially if they're a minority in the room, they actually get penalized, right? Um, they, they're evaluated more harshly. They're viewed as not very good leaders when they point out stuff like that. When a guy like me points it out, um, especially when it's a more male-centric or uh, place, I actually don't suffer any penalty at all. And that's one of the things we communicate to men. You've got nothing to lose calling this out in a group of men. In fact, if anything, you're going to take a little bump up in your annual evaluations for being a gender champion or whatever, uh, while our, our female colleagues are going to take a hit for it. So let's not always make women in the room call this stuff out. Oh, such a good point. The other thing you talk about early on in the book is that women are are less likely to find mentors. Can you talk about that? Why is that? Yeah, it's such a good point, too. And again, the evidence, as you said, really reinforces that women get less mentoring. Women get less sponsorship as part of, you know, a mentoring relationship. And the more male-centric or male-dominated the profession or organization, the more you find that trend. And really, it just kind of comes down to flat-out mathematics, right? It, the, the numbers just don't work. So we're bringing talented junior women into the organization, but because we don't have many senior women, senior women can't mentor all the junior women. And so if guys are not leaning in, if guys are, are not willing to engage deliberately, uh, see talented women, recognize them, and then initiate these relationships – junior women are going to fall through the cracks and they do all the time. And I think that has much to do with uh, why women don't get sponsored. Then there are also implicit biases men may have. She's, uh, you know, she's, she's nice, but she's not really leadership material or, you know, she's a woman. So she's not a good investment because she's going to leave and have children. You know, guys have these biases going on and they're maybe not even aware of it, but it keeps them on the sidelines at times. Yeah, I think that's that's such a good point. Men have to rise to this occasion because there just aren't there just simply even aren't enough women in those senior type of positions to sponsor every junior woman. It it as you're talking, I think it would be most beneficial if it was just something that was a part of organizational culture so that it doesn't have some appearance of, you know, well why is Brad all of a sudden mentoring Cheryl? Where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think there are two pieces to that, Cheryl. I mean, w one of the things we tell guys who, are, who feel weird about engaging with women because they're worried about this, you know, gossip or optics or that sort of thing. Look, if you're a guy who never mentors women and you suddenly start spending a ton of time just with one woman, maybe a junior woman, you've set yourself up, right? That does. People are going to ask questions or wonder, is there something going on? So don't do that. Make this part of your brand, right? Uh, mentor lots of women and men, right? And, and if you do that, people are going to know, hey, that's just his brand. He, he's going to equal opportunity. He mentors lots of uh, women and men. A nice organizational example, uh, uh, J.P. Morgan recognized they were bringing in a lot of talented women. They were not getting them promoted. They were not retaining them. So they're deliberately asking men to take a 36-minute pledge every week where they're going to spend 30 minutes taking a junior woman out for coffee and have a mentor conversation. They're going to spend five minutes congratulating a female colleague on a win or an achievement and one minute telling everyone else what she did or you know what she achieved. So the sponsorship piece. The beauty of that is it gives men not just permission, but it actually it's an assignment. It's an expectation. 
So I think organizations that make that deliberate really are more likely to move the needle on men mentoring women. Yeah. When I read that in the book, I thought, well, that seems pretty simple. Why are more companies doing that? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I think that's the service you're doing, uh, with good guys is hopefully there. Your the book is jam packed with practical information. So even though in this conversation, you're referencing research, you do that in the book, but just a little, just enough. And then you give all of these practical ideas, which is what makes it so great. Um, the other thing you do in your book, you right. You divide it up into three parts and, um, part one is about interpersonal allyship. And this is about how men can show up in the workplace and have relationships with women. So can you talk about what it takes and what men need to be aware of to start doing this and also what's in it for everyone when they do that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with just some of those elements of interpersonal allyship. And Dave and I kind of, my co-author, think about this as kind of, you know, how do you show up in relationships with women, right? How do you show up uh, as a male colleague? And so some of the ones that really emerged, and by the way, you mentioned at the beginning of our podcast that, you know, we're two dudes writing this book for uh, <laughs> about how to engage with women in the workplace. But we're really, um, the book is really the voices of 59 women that we interviewed. And so um, we recognize we're two guys and we wanted women's voices to be front and center in, in this feedback to men. So it's essentially what do women wish guys knew about showing up more effectively. And the things that emerged to the top interpersonally kind of surprised us, Cheryl. Listen, you know, apparently we guys are not that good at listening to women. Listen to her generously, make time for her, uh, don't make assumptions about her, where she'll want to go in her career, really do the discernment, ask her, you know, in a perfect world, what would it look like for you 10 years from now? Help me understand that. Um, so I could open doors and, and, you know, be a more effective colleague and mentor. Make sure she's included, right? If she should be in a meeting or, you know, she should be at some social event, make sure she's on the invite list. Pass the friend test with her. And what I mean by that is establish trust by making sure that if she hears anything about what you said about her behind her back, it's it was positive. Uh, it was doing the sponsorship. It was, you know, uh, making sure that you're congruent both in your affirmations of her personally and then also on the public side. So those were some of the interpersonal things. How does this translate in terms of benefits? Um, you know, surprisingly, I mean, you could just focus on how this is good for women, and that is important, right? Women are more likely to be retained in your company. They're more likely to advance. Great. But it's good for guys, too. And I think a lot of guys don't realize this. Um, men who have a lot of female colleagues get great feedback. They often are more interpersonally savvy. They have better uh, communication skills. Their emotional intelligence gets better. They often actually do better employment-wise because people start to recognize their inclusive brand if they have a lot of female colleagues and mentees. And then it's great for the company. We, we know that when companies are promoting more women into more significant leadership, so you have real gender balance, those companies make more money, they're more lucrative, they're more creative. It's just good for everybody. So this really is a win-win kind of, you know, at least in terms of outcomes. 
Yeah, I agree. And and I know we're talking about um, men being allies for women, but I will say over the last couple of years, I have also experienced women being an ally for me and it's just allies. We just need allies. I mean, it, it just, there is something about somebody reaching out and saying, Hey, I wanted to introduce you to so-and-so because you're both doing really great mission-driven work. I think you should connect, you know, and there's no agenda really. It's just, I just thought of you or, you know, it's, it's very similar to what you're saying. I've been experiencing that with other women, which equally feels as great. Um, And so I can imagine if I were a part of a larger organization, the power of men doing that or people in leadership roles. I think if you're listening, also, if you're just in a leadership role, uh, I believe every leader should have a mentor, you know, a mentor and a mentee, you know, that goes both ways. And, And what that does, just whether you call it a mentor or just an ally, someone to promote you and to see the positive in you is it's very powerful. It really is, and I love your idea of making sure that you have a network or a constellation that's diverse, right? So um, it it doesn't have to be just men. I I mean, the more diversity you have in that inner circle and that network, constellation of people who are in your corner, the better prepared you are for uh, getting good feedback and also, um, you know, I think just thriving at work, period. Absolutely. I talk about, and, you know, Oftentimes on this podcast, we talk about parenting and we talk about mental health, but I will say that translating your work even into parenting, this is something I've started to even teach my own children very early, that it's very important to have a broad group of friends, even the translation to me in in my mind in childhood, um, for so many different reasons. You don't have to just be friends with people who have particular things in common with you that how much more enriched your life is when you open, you know, you open up that scope. So that's how I've translated that sort of into parenting. You also have in your book, this glossary of ally slang that is genius. (laughs) Um, Can you talk about some of the terms that men need to understand as they embark on this journey? And you also address sexist language. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about both of those things, because it was an awesome surprise when I turned the page and saw that. Yeah, yeah, happy to. There's so much here, of course, um, but we could spend the rest of the show just going through our slang. But let me just hit a few of the highlights here. And so, you know, these are these are words, actually, that we hear, heard from women over and over again that I think men are often not very familiar with, right? Because these all reflect things that I think happen to women in the workplace that, that maybe is, are perpetuated by us guys, but we, we, don't, we don't notice it as often. So we need to get better at this. So example, bro-appropriation, right? I can't tell you how many women shared with us, there I am in a meeting, I share a great idea, it's really creative, everyone's like, yeah. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, a dude says almost exactly what I said. And everyone's like, wow, Frank, great idea. And it's so frustrating. And Dave and I, as we were doing these interviews, we would check in with each other. And, I, and I'd say, Dave, are you hearing about this thing where women have their ideas taken? And he's like, yeah. And I said, has that ever happened to you? He's like, nope. And I mean, we, we just miss it. So that's called bro appropriation. Guys have to be aware of that. The man interruption is another one, right? Women told us I get interrupted, you know, three or four times every meeting. And, and again, I think men just don't have 
that experience. Another issue here is mansplaining, of course, where uh, men want to pedantically explain things to women and it feels very demeaning to them. And, and I think guys may or may not have any clue they're doing it, but they need the feedback. It's really important. The sexist language, you know, it can, it can be on this continuum, I think, Cheryl, from anything from the guy who constantly has to call uh, women who are colleagues, girls, right? It's girls, girls. And it, it, you know, it's a small thing, but it makes a difference. And are you willing to call that out and say, Hey, I'd like you to refer to them as women. I'd appreciate that. Um, we don't have girls here in the office. There can be, you know, really dismissive kind of sexist things that you'll hear. Right. And guys, guys may not have a clue how this lands or how it comes across, but you know, things like, Hey, uh, Cheryl, you're going to be taking the notes, right? I just assume that, you know, cause you know, you're a woman, you're the only woman in the room. Why wouldn't you be the one taking the notes or Cheryl, when are you going to have kids? You know, not considering that maybe that's an boundary violation and, and you have no plans to have children. And am I asking the guys the same thing? So when I hear this stuff, I have to decide, Hey, is this something I should call out right now? Or should I go to this guy after the meeting and say, dude, bro, no, we have a hashtag, bro, no. Uh, you know, when you say that stuff, people cringe. And let me tell you why people cringe and maybe don't call women girls anymore. Please work on that. Uh, you can be better. I love that. Love that explanation. Once again, I have one of those situations in, in my life as well. So I think there's some good awareness, you know, again, even for women and what we're tolerating what we might feel uncomfortable with, but don't really quite know how to address it. These are all great ideas. You talk about in, in part two of your book about public allies for women. And some of my favorite takeaways were about how to be consciously aware of the dynamics and how to appreciate and nurture female relationships. What do you think are the most important necessary skills for men to publicly align with women? Such a good question. And, and I've already mentioned the ouch technique and, and calling things out and being willing to be a disruptor. And when you disrupt, make sure you know that you're owning that. I also, though, need to loudly do the sponsoring. And I was alluding to that earlier. And I think men can feel creeped out a little bit, Cheryl, by, you know, love. And a quick story. We got to interview Cheryl Sandberg uh, for the book. And, and she really hit the sponsorship piece. She said... My first job out of college was as the assistant to the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. And everywhere we went, he would introduce me for five minutes to people on the world stage. This is Sheryl Sandberg. She's a rock star. I couldn't do this without her. He would go on and on. And she said, Larry, that's embarrassing. And he said, Cheryl, this is sponsorship. And you need to get comfortable with me doing this. And that was such a nice example for us about what real sponsorship sounds like. So litmus test for men, are you raving about her when she's not in the room? Are you telling people that she's ready, right? Are you looking for stretch assignments? When a promotion opportunity comes up, are you only recommending men? Are you thinking of some of those talented women? And then don't forget that women sometimes can be socialized, not all women, but some can be socialized not to put their name forward or raise their hand when there's a promotion opportunity. So if she doesn't, and you know she's ready, um, why not go to her and have that conversation? Hey, all these dudes are applying to this job who are not nearly as qualified as you. Can we at least talk about why you're not? I'd love to hear from you because I see you in that job or I see you moving on. 
what's, what's keeping you from doing that? And I want to be empathic if there's some good reason why she's not doing that. But boy, if she just hasn't seen herself as ready, that's my job. I'm, I'm going to push you forward and create stretch assignments and tell everyone that you're ready. Yeah, what a great story you just you just shared about Cheryl Sandberg, and it really does bring to light um, the power of that sponsorship and someone's endorsement of you. And I experienced that myself. And I probably have a similar experience where it can feel like, oh, that's embarrassing, or let's just keep moving on. But it means something. It really does. The third part of your book is about systemic allyship. And so this seems like such a big task to change organizations but you provide the reader with concrete actionable steps. So can you end today by talking about some of the most important steps leaders can take to create this necessary change? Yeah. And and again, we need another hour to do all of those. Let me just pick some favorites, Cheryl. And, And some of these are really pandemic connected, right? I think some of these have become a lot more salient and relevant, you know, given what's going on. All the recent data shows that, you know, we are losing women, from the workforce and droves because of the demands uh, for childcare, because partners aren't leaning in and sharing equally at home. Women are the one bearing the brunt um, by and large. So for companies, I, I can really get active in asking myself, do we have policies here that work for everybody? How about flexible uh, arrangements for working from home? This is gonna help me keep uh, more women, especially in my company. I'm not gonna have this huge talent bleed. How about daycare? Is there anything my company could do to work on a consortium of daycare or give vouchers or, or something else? Uh, to make sure that that's working. What about pay equity? Too many companies say, oh yeah, that's really important, but they're not transparent. Uh, If you're serious about pay equity and you really wanna help close the gap, stop with the secrecy. And men are primarily to blame for this. I, I think men often share this stuff, right? In the men's room or at the golf course. And we don't tell uh, our female colleagues, especially if they're in a minority, what we're making and what other people are making at their, their pay grade. And until we, until we get very transparent and we share everybody's salary and, uh, and are comfortable doing that, I, I think we have a long way to go. Last one, hold other people that you work with accountable. And what I mean by that is don't let people from your company participate in all-male panels, call those mantles. Don't, uh, you know, if, if a Somebody wants to come to your company and do a business pitch, don't take the meeting if they're not bringing 30% women. So we see a lot of companies getting really deliberate about not only holding themselves internally accountable, but also holding those they work with accountable. I will back you up in saying that this really, we could use a whole nother hour because there are those great ideas and so many other great ideas and good guys. And I couldn't help but think you know, this should be required reading for all, for all management um, in companies and organizations. And even in, you know, people starting off their career, it's really, I think, could change the trajectory of organizations as big as that feels. There's something about the way that you present you and your co-author presented in the book that feels like, okay, this doesn't, feel too overwhelming. We could do this. You start off with something, right? Start off with a couple of ideas and see how they work and keep building off of them. So I want to genuinely thank you 
for championing uh, women and for being just the right voice, I think, to do that. I really appreciate the research and the investment in just, I know this is not the only book that you have written about that talks about women and careers. And so um, I just want to say I loved it. And I really um, am grateful that you wrote it. Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. Congratulations on your launch tomorrow. By the time people are listening to this, they can get this book um, everywhere that books are sold. And um, like I said, I think that this is something that all companies should be reading, really. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Cheryl. What a fun conversation. Really happy to be here with you today. Yes, absolutely. So um, I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe. And those reviews mean everything. Take care.